0: Welcome to episode 37 of The Jared White Show, recorded July 31st, 2019. I'm your host, Jared White, and I invite you to join me in a curated celebration of the art form that is the web. Sorry I missed last week's episode, y'all. I was just dealing with a lot of work stuff, and I was still feeling rather sick. Uh, I got the stuffing knocked out of me, as they say. Uh, still have a little bit of a cough, even, even a couple weeks going here. It's uh, It's been very annoying, but for the most part, I'm okay, and I am ready to rumble here. I have a lot of stuff to talk to you about today, a uh, lot of things related to Facebook, uh, a bunch of Apple financial news, which I think is more a lesson on how how the news media can spin things multiple ways, and last but not least, a couple of truly awesome web things. So let's jump into the Facebook stuff first. uh, There was a ruling in the EU, the the Court of Justice of the European Union published an opinion a few days ago on a case, and the ruling states that... uh, Basically, online websites that embed some kind of plug-in, like in this case the Facebook Like button, are responsible for the data that they're sending to the provider of that plug-in. So in other words, if you have a Like button on your website, the kind of data that Facebook collects by letting you embed that Like button on your site, you as the controller, as the data controller, that's the technical term, uh, you as the as the uh, website publisher there you you are a joint data controller along with Facebook and as a data controller, you are liable to protect your user's data and to ensure that you're complying with all of the uh, data protections that are in the EU now so this is a big deal because basically website publishers by and large have just Kind of waved their hands and acted like they're not responsible for protecting their users' data, privacy, and so forth. Uh, in the sense that uh, they can just embed all of these trackers and all of these plugins, all of these scripts, and they can just kind of wave their hands and say, "You know, well those don't belong to us. Those are provided by other companies. If you're worried about your privacy, talk to them." And the EU is saying, "Nope." You're publishing a website, you're choosing to embed these social plugins and you know other things like trackers, whatever. You're you're choosing to make these decisions about how you architect your website. You are responsible. You are the responsible party here, along with others, to ensure that your user's data is being protected, your users' privacy is being protected. I think this is fabulous. As a person who builds websites for a living. Uh, I feel like many of my colleagues in this industry have also similarly just waved their hands and kind of acted like they're not culpable here in this surveillance web that we've built. Uh, and it, it really is up to the web developers in the end, you know, the people like us who build the websites, who who code these things, who allow all these scripts to get inserted, who allow all these plugins to get inserted. You know, we we can say whatever we want about oh it was marketing's decision or oh I'm just you know doing what I was told to to add here to what, what I was told to build here. You know, it's the biz people figuring out all that stuff. Nope, nope 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 nope. That that that's the excuse that everyone always uses. <laughs> When they're part of a regime that is doing nefarious things, well I'm just doing what I was told well i I'm, I'm just you know I'm just implementing the things that they're telling me I need to implement. We need to fight back people if you're a part of the industry that builds websites, it is up to you to inform and to educate the people you're working with about what it is that they're requesting and you know I haven't always done the best job of this I'm the first to admit but but I'm really trying um, i've I've talked to some clients I, I honestly have and informed them that I don't think we should you know add or or even keep some kind of social plugin I remember one website in particular I was working on a, a redesign of a past website I built for them and in the past website down in the footer there was a big Facebook like page widget where you could like the page and it would show other people like the pages and all that kind of stuff. And I told them, I think in this redesign we should take all that out and we can just have a little Facebook icon. And if they click that, they can go to Facebook and then they can do whatever they want, like the page and so forth from there. But we shouldn't embed this stuff on our own site. Uh, and they were cool with that. They, they acknowledged the the risks of having that sort of thing embedded on the site. And um, so we were able to, to take that off. Um, you know, if, if they had wanted to push back, if they'd wanted to have a fight, um, you know, maybe I would have acquiesced in the end. They are the client. But, you know, at least I would have had a fight. <laughs> I really would have pushed to uh, protect the people that visit their site, you know, and and respect the user here. Um there's other situations recently where I've encouraged people not to use Google Analytics. Where I've said maybe maybe we can use a different analytics package, or you know, what are what are you even trying to do with your analytics? I, I think sometimes this isn't these kind of decisions aren't born of malice. It's just sort of born of inertia. It's like people are told, oh, you need Google Analytics on your site so you know what's going on. So people just kind of go, okay, let's just put Google Analytics on. Uh, but I have clients that. Have in the past, they have put Google Analytics on their sites and then they never look at it and they never act on any of the information that's there. So, what's the point? Like, if you go on there and find out, oh, 200 people viewed this page versus 5,000 people viewed that page, like, who cares? Who, who cares in the end unless you understand what that data means and you're going to act on it? And, you know, for, for smaller sites, for, for a small business that already knows the audience that it's trying to reach and who's visiting its site, uh, and you know if they don't have some kind of specific marketing or SEO plan in mind, those analytics just don't really mean much anyway. So first thing is, why are we even adding this? Secondly, if we are adding this, is there a way to add this that protects user privacy? So there are analytics packages out there that are not Google Analytics, open source that you can install on your own server, and that's what I'm recommending to clients more and more these days, those kinds of solutions. Anyway, uh, end of rant. <laughs> uh, the bottom line here is that uh, Europe is taking great steps to, to really crack down on this proliferation of, of plugins and scripts and all these things that get embedded on websites by forcing website publishers to think through what it is they're doing and how they are putting the user first and foremost in their mind, and I think this is absolutely fantastic. Something interesting happening here in the United States as well, Senator Josh Hawley, a Republican from Missouri, is uh, introducing an act called the Social Media Addiction Reduction Technology Act, or the SMART Act, Uh, and I'll just say right off the bat, I don't think this act has any chance of passing whatsoever, or certainly not in the form it's in. Um, But I appreciate what he did here, and I think it's worth reading through the act. It would basically uh, ban some, quote-unquote, dark patterns that you see on a lot of uh, social media and not entirely uh, ethical news sites out there. Uh, Things like autoplay videos, things like endless scrolling – the the endless scrolling thing in particular that that actually really bothers me i really don't like infinity scrolling or endless scrolling uh, as a web developer i tend to try to avoid that kind of pattern in general for for any sort of list of things that could go on very much you know i prefer an actual button that says you know load next or load more or next page or something like that you know if you've scrolled for a while and you've looked through a bunch of stuff I think you as the user should be should be asked, "Hey, do you really want to see more stuff or are you good now?" And you don't get the chance to do that with infinity scrolling. You just scroll and scroll and scroll and it never ends and you have no idea if it's ever going to end and when you're going to get to the point where maybe it's something that, you know, you've seen in the past or if you're, you know, if it's just too old to be relevant anymore. It just you just are in this bottomless pit of content. Again, while I don't think the smart act here has any chance of passing, I think it's great the way it calls out some of the dark patterns that get used on websites. Another thing is, is uh, sort of UI design, where you have some kind of checkbox to opt into something nefarious and sneaky, and the option or the checkbox to, to not opt in or to opt out is is smaller or in some kind of different font size or whatever that makes it very hard to to see in comparison to the one that opt in. Uh, this axe says that, you know, if you have two different options to opt in or to opt out of something, they need to be the same size, they need to be prominent, they need to be clear and right next to each other and, you know, not trick users into just opting into stuff. Uh, so I think I think this act is a great starting point for discussion. I think web designers really need to take a look at what's under fire here and think through the the kind of dark patterns that they might be encouraging. Uh, So, there's a link in the show notes to this smart act. I encourage you to read it. So, to sum up, web designers, developers out there, we can do better. We can do better as an industry. We can design better websites. We can design better apps. We can respect users. It's possible. And quite frankly, if you're not willing to do that, if you're trying to use all these dark patterns, and if you're trying to collect all this data you don't really need, and users don't really understand what you're doing with it, uh, you will come under fire politically. That This is the era we're in now. If you're going to not treat your users well as a provider of content, as a provider of apps, whatever... Uh, you're gonna you're gonna get the crackdown politically, and I think this is a good thing. I think the tech industry is desperately in need of a course correction, and so I'm I'm encouraged to see these kinds of developments. All right, so next up, a bunch of Apple news here because they just announced all of their third quarter 2019 results, and as always, SixColors.com has done a great job. Breaking down the results into a whole bunch of charts and really showing you visually what's going on with Apple's financials. So I encourage you to check out that link in the show notes. Uh the long story short, Apple had a really good quarter, but the continuing decline of the iPhone business is uh concerning some folks. But uh the, the, the thing that's actually kind of amazing is as iPhone revenue declines, all of other all the other businesses that Apple's doing are, are on an upswing. And so I think, you know, you, you, have, to be, you have to be a smart investor here. The, 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 not, the not smart investor, I would say, just sees that iPhone number going down and goes, oh my God, the sky is falling. Uh, but if you look at what's going on in all of Apple's other businesses, you know, the Mac, the iPad... Wearables like Apple Watch and airPods, uh, the app Store, uh, new services coming out like Apple TV and so forth. Um, Apple's really firing on all cylinders right now, and so I think in the long run this is really great because you know the the ideal the ideal company is one that has a whole portfolio of products, and if any one product line dips down, you kind of want the other product lines to in some way Pick up the slack, and that's what we're seeing right now. You know, Apple has a whole bunch of different product lines. The the iPhone is just one of many product lines Apple has. And while the iPhone product line is, you know, not currently in the massive growth trajectory that it's been in the past, um, you know, it's still a good business, obviously. Um, but uh, all the other businesses are doing quite well. So let me just uh, highlight a few uh, quotes here from the transcript um, talking about wearables. Tim Cook said, it it was another sensational quarter for wearables with growth accelerating to well over 50%. Over 75% of customers buying Apple Watch in the June quarter were buying their first Apple Watch. I think this is a cool stat. That, that, I'm going to read that to you again. Over 75%, that's three quarters, folks, of customers buying Apple Watch in the June quarter were buying their first Apple Watch. So that means there are a lot of new Apple Watch customers out there. I mean, that's a lot of new customers. Not repeat customers. New customers. So that means the Apple Watch is really a smash hit product. And you don't see that reported a lot in the news media. You don't see headlines about what an incredible hit the Apple Watch is. What what a breathtakingly successful product the Apple Watch is. And I I don't I don't know. I I think I think this is part of the somewhat of the malaise out there that, you know, ever since Steve Jobs passed away and Tip Cook took over, there's just been this sort of underlying narrative of, oh, Tim Cook's boring, and he's not a visionary, and Apple's losing its way. And uh, it's just, it's total nonsense, folks. Of course, Apple makes mistakes. And of course, they do some dumb stuff. And I'm happy to talk about some of the dumb stuff that Apple's been doing. But the Apple Watch is not dumb. The Apple Watch is a great product. They've done an amazing job with it. Uh, I, I don't I still have a series one Apple Watch I, I by no means have one of the latest generation devices here and I'm still very happy with my Apple Watch it it works well you know it's a little bit slow because of, of its age but uh, it still works fine it gets the job done it does what I need it to do I'm very happy with Apple Watch as a product uh, and and the new the new watch devices are just phenomenal in what their capabilities are the The kind of things you can do on this tiny, tiny little wrist computer. All right, moving along to the iPad, Tim Cook said, This was our third consecutive quarter of growth, and with revenue up 15% year-to-date, we feel great about where we're headed with iPad. Uh, So yeah, the iPad for a while was indeed dipping down, and there was even uh, negative negative, uh, growth uh whatever whatever you call that <laughs> negative growth uh anyway um you know for a while the the iPad as a as a business was really concerning um but they've totally turned that around at this point uh they've had several quarters of growth uh consumers are responding well to the the new iPad iPad Air iPad mini and power users are just going bananas over the iPad Pro hardware so, uh, so Apple's really, really crushing it with iPad right now. And, uh, and you can see that in the financial results here. So, uh, so good job, Apple, with iPad. And somewhat surprising to me, because this is an area where I feel like Apple is still struggling, uh, talking about the design of, of Mac notebooks. Um, but uh, apparently, uh, they're, they're doing pretty well right now. Tim Cook said about the Mac, We were also very happy with double-digit revenue growth from Mac, fueled by a strong performance of MacBook Air and MacBook Pro. So it sounds like uh, people are actually responding pretty positively to all the latest MacBook Air and MacBook Pro models. Uh, So, you know, even with the concerns about the keyboard and endless spickering over the utility of things like the touch bar or if there's enough ports or... You know, whatever whatever the deal might be, there there are a lot of things to quibble about. But uh, I guess the the latest generation notebooks on the Mac side um, are uh, are selling well, and um, people are are more enthused about them than past models. I would say so. Uh, so it's good to see there's an upswing, um, and if the rumors are true that Apple's working on on a new uh, high end flagship MacBook Pro model that has an all new keyboard and new uh, screen. Um industrial design and all that um, it, this really could be uh the the beginning of a major turnaround with with apple's notebooks so that's encouraging. Luca Maestri, uh, the chief financial dude over at Apple, uh, had some comments uh, on the Apple store. He said that third party subscription revenue grew by over forty percent uh, so what that means is that uh, people who are subscribing to uh, app subscriptions through the app store, you know like apps that you can you know pay to use per per month or per per year or even per week um, that that revenue is growing substantially so that's not only good news for Apple but it's good news for all the all the third party app developers that are on the app store. Uh, And then also talking about the Mac, uh, Luca had some more details about how the revenue grew there. Uh, He said Mac revenue grew in four of our five geographic segments and set June quarter records in the U.S., Europe, and Japan as, as our overall market performance significantly outpaced the global PC industry. Nearly half of the customers purchasing Macs during the quarter were new to Mac with revenue growing in both developed and emerging markets, and the active installed base of Macs again reached a new all-time high. So that is rather fascinating to me, this idea that the Mac platform is still growing, the the install base is growing. You know, they're not just selling new models to their existing customers in, in sort of a legacy business. This is still a business that's growing and acquiring Brand new customers, you know, there are there are people out there, lots of people apparently, who are buying Macs for the first time, switching from the PC, and so this is really good news for the Mac, and this is encouraging for, for anyone out there who's been uh, twitchy about what the future of the Mac platform might be, uh, this, you know, money talks, right? You know, Apple, at the end of the day, however altruistic they might seem, or however you know, artsy fartsy, they might seem as as des- designers and all that, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about the money. And so as long as the Mac is selling well and acquiring new customers, Apple's gonna have a big focus on the Mac as a platform. It's just that's just how this stuff works. So if, you, if you're one of these people that's been pessimistic about where the Mac's going, and if Apple's focusing well on the Mac platform as relative to iOS and all that other stuff, uh, you know, I I I think you, you can really lay those concerns to rest. I, I think you know we have clearly you know an, another handful of years where the Mac is a successful and vibrant platform, and you know maybe maybe over time we'll we'll see signs where we have to revisit this conversation. But right now the Mac looks like it's doing quite well. So I want to talk to you a little bit here about media perception, because, you know, a- Apple announced their third quarter 2019 results and, and started to do their, their conference call and all this kind of stuff. And nearly right away, the New York Times posted a headline, an, an article. And the, the way I actually saw this, for, like before I saw anything else, before I heard anything else, before I saw any sort of analysis, Uh, I I saw this headline come through from the New York Times, and I just saw this headline, Apple reports declining profits and slowing growth again. And my first thought is, oh, no, this is bad. Like, Apple's really struggling financially. And oh, no, like, it's really going to be concerning to everyone. It's going to affect their stock price. And, and, you know, that's going to Kind of mess up the executives' thinking there about what to focus on with products, maybe, and this is a, a something that's going to spiral downward. And I'm, I'm, you know, all this stuff's like, you know, in the split second running through my mind, right? And then I go over to six colors and and other sources that are just directly reporting on what Apple's announcing, and it's totally different. It's a totally different story. It's actually, the story is actually that Apple had a really good quarter and pretty much all of their businesses are growing and they're successful in a bunch of different areas. And the only really, really the only area of their business that's quite concerning is the decline of, of iPhone revenue. Uh, but, you know, that decline in revenue was was completely bolstered by all their other business lines. So, you know, it's it, it, in the long run it might actually be a good thing it means that apple's more diversified they they have a, a more balanced portfolio which again like in in non-loony apple world like this is a good thing you want as a business you want to have a diversified portfolio of products you want to have a bunch of different products and services that are all doing you know well in some measure and you're able to you know kind of weather the the storms of quarter-to-quarter quarter, uh, changes in behavior and, you know, whatever's going on in the world. Like, you know, well, maybe if this product line goes up over here, this other product line goes down over there a little bit, but hopefully it all kind of evens out in the end. And so, you know... <sighs> I just think if you look at the New York Times story here, like it seems to me like they already had this written. I I, I would bet you real money that the New York Times editorially had already decided prior to this, uh, this earnings result announcement, they had decided to run a negative story. And they probably had most of the bones of this article already written, and as soon as as the results came out, they could latch onto the one bit of bad news in the results and say, aha, and run with this negative story. And I just think that's absurd. You know? <laughs> you you can report, you know, you can fairly and accurately report on the the, the the negative aspects of what's going on with the iPhone business at Apple without doing this sensational thing of, you know, declining profits, slowing growth again and making it out like, you know, Apple's suddenly doomed again or something. It's just it's completely ridiculous. And this is what really bothers a lot of people about the news media, you know, w- without getting into the whole sort of debate about, you know, mainstream media and and alternative media and, you know, everyone's duking it out to to claim the 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 moral high ground over truth, but you know, Clearly when you see a, a prestigious and, and top publication like the New York Times, do this kind of goofy, click not quite grounded in actual reality sort of thing that's just yeah, you know, unless you're just totally an Apple hater, like looking at this article, it's it's obviously highly biased and skewed reporting. <laughs> uh shame on you, New York Times. Shame on you. You can do better. You can do better than this negative hit piece on Apple. And it's not just because I'm an Apple fan. Like, truly, like, all you have to do is read this article, and then go read coverage of Apple's financial results in a whole bunch of other places. And there's a total mismatch. So just super annoying. Anyway, one other bit of news here that is not annoying is actually really exciting. Uh, The Verge is reporting on the fact that uh, that Apple has joined uh, a data sharing project that's also being participated in by Google and Facebook and Twitter, and I believe Microsoft. Uh, anyway, there's a bunch of top companies that are all participating in an, in an open source sort of collaborative uh, development process that's trying to make it so that uh, whatever service you're on, you can export your, your personal data out of that service and import it into a different service. So you know if you could imagine like in the future you might be able to just basically click a button and transfer all of your photos from apple's photo iCloud photo library to Google photos or the other way around, or maybe you want to take photos you've posted on Facebook and t- take them out of Facebook and import them into Google or import them into apple's iCloud uh, and you know other other sort of data as well though I'm sure photos is, is a big focus um, but this is a really good thing, because the number one criticism of, of all these major platforms like iCloud and, and Google's uh, cloud and Facebook and all these other services is, you know, you, you put all your data in, but you can't get all your data out. And, you know, technically, it's your user data. So why can't you do anything with it? Why can't you transfer it out and close an account one place and open an account somewhere else and import your data there if you want to? uh this stuff should be so much easier so it's really encouraging it's it's, it's actually a really really good step in the right direction to see uh, apple and google and facebook and twitter and and other companies collaborating on on you know tools and protocols and so forth to allow uh all this data transfer to happen at the user's request of course so that's it for Apple news. Uh, I'll, I'll mention very, very quickly here that I've been running the iPad OS public beta for a couple weeks now on my primary iPad Pro device. I have a lot of thoughts about that, but I'll save some of those thoughts, kind of, kind of a mini review for a future episode. Um, I'm having a couple technical glitches with the iPad OS beta, but uh, you know I'm, I'm confident that these things will get ironed out before the final release. And overall, uh, I'm really having a blast. This is such an exciting update for the iPad. Um, but I'll save, I'll save all my thoughts for a future episode. So, uh, so last but not least today, uh, a, couple, a couple cool little items here I want to share with you. The first is over at Axios. Uh, there's a report about a new transparent display that Adobe has developed, and this this is not a product that anyone can go out and buy right now. This is just sort of a proof of concept, a, a product demo. Um, but Adobe has basically built <laughs> they've basically built what we've all seen in movies where you have this transparent display. you just have this piece of glass that you can see through, and yet on the glass is a computer display, and so the 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 objects that the computer is putting on that screen are. Are right there on that on that glass, and you can you know, look at that content and and read it and interact with it. But anywhere where there's not actual content is just transparent glass, and you can see through it. And so the way they're utilizing this is actually really cool. They basically have a product display where you have like you know Nike shoes, for example, and you can put these shoes you know in this sort of enclosure, and you can see the sh- the shoes through the glass. But then all of a sudden. Uh, you know, bits of computer display stuff come up on the glass and, you know, explain things about the shoes and sort of overlay like diagrams to show how the shoes were manufactured and designed and you can interact with with it as a like, you know, because it's a touch screen. So this is this is really, really cool. Um, I, I think the thing that's a little silly about a lot of the sci fi movies is they just have like, transparent displays everywhere. And people aren't using the displays because they're transparent. They're just using them like their regular computer displays. But oh, it's transparent because that looks so cool and futuristic. But that's kind of ridiculous. Like, in real life, nobody's going to want just sort of on a daily basis as they're, you know, reading their emails and writing down notes and viewing web pages and Writing code and doing all these things, like you, you don't actually want a transparent display where you're like seeing through all the stuff behind you, uh, right next to your content. Like that's that's really bizarre. But in, in a in a in a use case that you see here that Adobe has in this product demo, that is really cool. So I think Adobe did a great job of of not just showing like, hey, we can develop this fancy new technology, but they also showed like here's how it could be used in a really interesting and useful way. So hats off to Adobe for, for having a, a good, sensible tech demo here that, that actually makes sense, because they don't always. But in this case, it's definitely the case. And then finally, I have a link here in the show notes to a very funny, very fun video on YouTube. Uh, some some creative netizen uh, clipped out a whole bunch of scenes of Sheriff Hopper from the Stranger Things series on Netflix and and compiled it together with some captions and some goofy music in the background to make it seem like this is the intro to a show called Hopper P.I. and it has like a VHS videotape effect on it so it really feels like you're watching some some cheesy 80s TV show. Hopper P.I. It's It's awesome like because, you know, because of the way Hopper's already dressed with his Hawaiian shirt and all that kind of stuff and the, the way they have the clips here and the way they've put together with the videotape effect and the music and everything, it's, it's sheer genius. So if you have any love of Stranger Things whatsoever, as I do, you're going to love this. I, I'm, I'm sure you are going to enjoy it all right folks that's it for today's episode and you should thank me because I've edited out all the times when I had to pause and cough because <laughs> as I was saying I still have a cough so uh, uh yeah getting even just getting through this episode's been a little frustrating but I, I was able to clip out all those parts so you got a, you got a real episode here I hope you enjoyed it as always you can go to jaredwhite.com/podcast for show notes and information about this and other episodes. And please, please click the follow button next to my name on my website at jaredwhite.com so that you can join my email newsletter and get notified when this podcast and any other content I work on is released. So thanks for tuning in and I will see you next time. Bye.